So before we start Black Panther Part 2, I just want to go through and restate all my earlier points. Get and done with it. Yes, get on with it. Well, all right then. <laughs> Welcome back to Black Panther Part 2. Hope you enjoyed Part 1, Review and Redemption. If you didn't listen to Part 1, I guess that's okay. But it will make more sense. Wait, okay, I, I got a deal. You can listen to this one first and then go back to that one. Deal? No? <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, with Part 2, we continue the theme of redemption by diving into the lives of one of my favorite saints, St. Moses the Black, who was just just a really bad person and then became a really good person. Finally, in the climax, we'll talk about one of my favorite things ever. Actually, my favorite thing ever, which is mission. There's a reason why it's called Millennial Mission. And Black Panther's core theme of isolationism versus mission and how that applies to Christians and the church as a whole. And you. Let's go. At this podcast, we and I, like, we're really passionate about telling stories and about people's stories, their life stories. That's why I created the My Story podcast was to interview people and get an extremely, like, detailed version and intimate version of people's life stories because I believe that everyone's story holds a value. And I don't mean that in a way where, you know, everyone gets a medal, everyone's story is special because I say it is. No, I do believe that every story has immense value and that's why we've told them on the my story podcast and i think why they matter is because of these little stories of redemption and when you get to know someone's story and especially their times of struggle that's when you can connect with someone and i think there's a lot of different kinds of stories and especially within the catholic christian world you have you know stories of people going through crazy conversions where they uh, lived in like all this crazy sin and struggle and then they came to God and things really changed a lot in their life. Maybe not everything was fixed right away. Then you have relatively tame stories of someone who grew up a Catholic as a Catholic or a Christian and just kind of, you know, followed the straight and narrow for most of their life. Like things just for the most part, um, they stayed like pretty faithful, even though they may have had some times of struggle. But for the most part, you know, pretty, pretty, you know, not as bumpy of a road maybe as the other crazy ones. And we've also had stories on our podcast and we'll continue to have ones about people from outside the Catholic and Christian world, like my friend Jacob's story, where Jacob's story is about growing up in abuse and uncertainty and coming out as queer and a lot of Jacob's struggles with faith and questions about that. And that was one of my favorite ones we've had on the My Story podcast. And so there's all these different stories. And within the Catholic Christian world spectrum, there's there's like this spectrum between being a good kid and then ones where you're like completely turning away like from God and just running away from him and then experiencing God's mercy and redemption and coming back. And I think we all 
fall on the spectrum somewhere. My experience is somewhere in the middle because, you know, I grew up Catholic, grew up a Christian and have had times of just kind of being like, you know, kind of sort of consistently faithful in my faith and even with some ups and downs there. Then I've had times of just real struggle and real serious sin and real just like falling apart and having God pick up like the pieces or times when I didn't think it was possible for God to do that in my life. So there's there's a spectrum there. And we see that within, I think, the saints. Um, a lot of times in the Catholic world, we, we sanitize the saints. So we make them seem like they're awesome people their entire life and perfect and didn't really have deep problems. And we a lot of times we take the humanity out of them. Um, one who was actually pretty awesome her entire life was St. Therese. Like St. Therese is one of my favorites. She In her um, autobiography, My Story of a Soul, which she didn't actually write for people to hear it. She just wrote it for her, her sister and you know maybe a couple other people to read. Never intended to get out. She talks about how one time a spiritual director, so someone she was going to confession to, was like, wow, you've never actually done a mortal sin your whole life. So like a mortal sin being a, a serious sin. And me, I was reading that and I was like, what the heck? That is freaking impossible for me, at least. Um, like, that's amazing, but I already missed that boat like decades ago. So there's, she's kind of on the good kid side. And then on the more crazier side, we have an awesome saint, which we're going to talk about today. Since this has influenced this episode by Black Panther, let's talk about St. Moses the Black, which he, he was called the Black because he was actually black. So St. Moses the Black, he lived in fourth century in the fourth century in northern Africa. He was this huge, intimidating dude. So he's just this big, burly guy who had a violent streak to him. He was an escaped slave, and some say a lot of the reason why he was—he wasn't escaped, but he was actually banished for murdering someone. He was banished from the land um, of like his like slave owner. And so, what he did after that is continuing with his violent streak. He led a gang of seventy thieves who would murder and steal in the countryside like kind of around the Nile River, so around Egypt. On one occasion, uh, Moses the Black, he tried to rob a guy, but the man's barking dog foiled the robbery, let him know that he was coming, and then it didn't work. And Moses the Black, who was so driven by rage, he swam first, he swam across the Nile River to find and kill this guy. And so the man saw him swimming in the different distance, and hid himself in the sand. So he just buried himself in sand. And when Moses the Black finally arrived at the man's house, he slaughtered the best of his sheep, so his livestock, which this guy depended on, swam across the Nile with the dead sheep, cooked himself a meal, and then he traveled 50 miles across the desert to reach his fellow thieves, his companions. So this is the depth of sin in like violence and anger that Moses the Black had. He was willing to go 50 miles, swim across the Nile, not being able to find the guy, kill his livestock, hoping, you know, that would hurt him, maybe like cause him to die of hunger, and then walk 50 miles of the desert just to have a little taste of revenge. So that's where Moses the Black started. Years into doing this like thievery, into living like this really like depraved life, after realizing the weight of a sin, Moses the Black, he repented and went to one of the desert monasteries, which was around him. And there, 
he began a slow conversion. So he at first he actually had to beg for the Desert Fathers to accept him to even let him in because they knew that he was they knew his reputation that he was a thief and they thought maybe oh yeah maybe this guy is just trying to you know get in and so he can steal things or hurt us. But he really meant it and they eventually accepted him to become a brother after you know a time of he, where he would just be begging and crying and just pleading with them to let him in. So he eventually became a brother and began this slow conversion process. One time, so four of the former robbers, so former robbers that he used to command when he was the leader of that gang of thieves, came upon his cell and tried to attack him. What he did, since he was still like as big as strong as ever, he overcame them with the strength, tied them up, and brought them to the elders, so the abbot. The elders decided to set them free, but the robbers, after seeing, realizing how much their former ringleader had changed, they all converted to Christianity and became monks as well from most of the black crazy story and from seeing how much he had changed. So most of the black, though, he continued to struggle with desires for violence and to return to his old way of life. He was slowly over time delivered of his passions and of his desires. And he eventually actually became a priest and eventually became an abbot himself. So a leader of the monks. And he had like 70 something disciples which is about the same amount that he had of followers at his old gang of thieves, which is crazy when you think about it. Eventually, when he was kind of older in life, the monks learned of a band of attackers en route to the monastery to pillage and kill everyone on their path. And so what Moses did is he told all of his monks to flee, to leave, to escape from this. But he insisted that he stay behind, that he stay put. When his disciples begged him to flee with him, to leave with him, he replied, and this is an awesome quote, I have been expecting this day to come for many years past, so that might be fulfilled the command of our Redeemer, who said, those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. And so when the attackers arrived, these people that personified the life that Moses the Black used to live, he welcomed them, he greeted them, but instead they killed him. They killed him and his followers, and he died for the faith which had redeemed him. So the problem today is why are we as a church, especially a Catholic church, not primarily known for redeeming people? Why does it feel like every time that I go to mass or go to a church, I don't see many people with tattoos. I don't see many people with diversity. And when I talk to a lot of Catholics, I don't hear many people talk about how they've been redeemed in their life. And some of these people who it's not until I've developed extensive relationships with them and got to know them on a deeper level, do they open up? They're like, yeah, I had or have this serious sin in my life and the Lord is helping me overcome it. Why don't people feel comfortable enough to talk about that? Why do we feel like we have to put on masks to be different and act different and pretend we haven't gone through certain struggles that we have? Why does it seem like in a lot of other Christian circles I've seen, not all of them, but some of them, especially some non-nominational ones. I've known many people who some of them who still are 
addicts of all kinds, divorced, estranged, these black sheep who didn't feel welcome in the Catholic Church, but found redemption in Christ and these other ones. Many of these people who used to be Catholic, and when their lives fell apart, they didn't feel welcome in the Catholic Church, so they left and went to these other church communities. Why is it that these people don't experience Christ's redemption until outside the church? I don't think it's a problem with the church itself or what the church believes. I think it's with how we as Catholics act. The most compelling, powerful part of the movie, the powerful idea that Black Panther had is its central conflict of this responsibility towards tradition and to protecting our own, and then the other responsibility, which is to go out into the world and help those in need. So let let me set this up for you. Imagine living in the richest, by far, most technologically advanced, stable, and peaceful country in the world. Okay, since virtually everyone that's listening that are Americans, I guess that's not too hard. But imagine it on another level. So instead, imagine imagine having wealth and technology on just a level that outpaces the rest of the world. Like, it's not even close. And so in Black Panther, Wakanda was uh, founded upon this, like, basically an underground mountain. So this giant mine of vibranium, which they've been mining for thousands of years. And uh, some of these technology examples, which so it's like Captain America's crazy shield that defies physics and can block anything Um, you can completely cure someone who's been shot in the spine so paralyzed and so you can just cure them yeah less than 24 hours easy no big deal you have hover bikes watches that display holograms using like matter handheld spears that can blow up tanks basically technology that really if you wanted to you could go out and rule the world so anything that you can imagine this technology can pretty much do So you have all these resources, traditions, and wealth, basically unknown and without equal in the rest of the world. All right, what do you do? I mean, there's two options, the main ones that are presented um, in Black Panther, and there's there's a couple different ones that they come to as well, different characters present. So one, one is keeping things to yourself. Do you keep everything a secret? Out of fear. That's what Wakanda actually chooses to do a thousand years. They don't want to change their tradition. And they, they're afraid the outside world will come in and destroy or take what they have or dilute what they have. So do you keep everything a secret out of fear? A fear of losing it all to envious outsiders or losing a part of your culture from outsiders coming in? Do you keep this life-saving technology and priceless resources to yourself out of fear of losing to others or maybe running out of your resources? Or... Do you instead do you go out and help the world? Do you make it another place? Do you risk yourself and risk what you have? Do you save the lives of those who will die without your technology that you could have saved? Who in Africa, if you think about it, because Wakanda set there, who lived lives of slavery and underwent unimaginable horrors without your intervention because you chose not to intervene? Do you open yourselves up to the world? And the real problems that it has to its refugees and possible rivals that want what you have and will take it? Do you trust 
that even your culture and way of life is strong enough that even if you open up your borders and yourself up to the world, that your tradition or way of life would not be diluted by this outside influence? Do you trust that if you open your borders and go out into the world that desperately needs you, that instead of the world changing you for the worse, that you instead change the world for the better? So what will you do? Will you hide within your luxury, your walls, your riches that you're fortunate to have, or instead risk your comfort to share with those in need? It's not an easy question to answer. I think it's a question that is so interesting that it's in this Black Panther. It's in a Marvel movie, for God's sakes. So it's so interesting because you have different questions, different characters answering it in many different ways. And you see that, you know, one within America today uh, with refugee crisis, which is very much, I mean, we're not going to talk too much of that because what I want to talk about, particularly within the church, is that we, I think this is a question that we need to be asking ourselves because I see a great divide. So let's look at the church as Wakanda. So one, we have in the church the greatest gift of access to Jesus Christ and a relationship with God that transcends, transcends death itself. This Jesus who is God, so the eternal word spoken by the Father, the way, the truth, and the life, who became human to redeem us from sin. We have the full revelation of Jesus Christ in Scripture, um, especially with their extra books as Catholics, and 2,000 years of tradition linking back to the apostles that Jesus himself discipled and appointed. Millenniums of countless saints, some of the greatest minds of history like Aquinas and Augustine, teachings on prayer, theology, countless books made by amazing Catholic theologians and ones that aren't that great. (laughs) So we have the sacraments that Jesus himself instituted so we can receive our identity as God's beloved children in baptism, experience his mercy and confession, and be fed spiritually and physically by Jesus himself in the Eucharist and all the other sacraments. We possess the witness of millions of martyrs who have died to defend this truth, who have sacrificed their lives because they're given an option. They knew it was true to affirm with their blood the reality of this faith and to protect it. So, what do we do? I think we find the answer in Jesus' mission to humanity. So this goes back to the beginning. It's Jesus' humanity. So he redeemed us, as we talked about redemption, by his sacrifice. He gave up everything that he had, sacrificed everything, while still losing none of his identity as a son of God, as the son of God to save us. And for millennia, you know, with up and down periods, the church and individual Christians, we spread the faith doing the same way, our witness and example. And this, you know, this wasn't just by missionaries and priests, but everyday Catholics and Christian individuals whose example and words drew others into this life-saving relationship with Christ. And they lived this out. Like they lived out the inward part. We're keeping holding fast to the traditions and what makes us very Catholic, what makes us Christians, while also going out to those in need and risking what we have for them to share with them this life-saving gospel. But I feel like in the most recent century, it's like the you know, last 100, 150 years or so, we as a church, like, like we've hunkered down in comfort, turned inward upon ourselves, and lost our missionary identity. We've closed ourselves up from the world and forgotten our mission to change it. We've even forgotten how to make a difference. We've forgotten how to evangelize, to correct injustice, to take our faith out into the world. And we're relearning this 
We're learning how to do something that used to be like brushing our teeth or taking a shower. It, it was that normal and necessary part of our life and our identity as Christians and Catholics. And so this is the very mission we've given that's been given for our lives. And the, one of the reasons that we exist is to do this. And this is how we fit into the greater story of what I was talking about earlier. This is the after. So the church in the 1950s and 60s, they recognized what was happening. They're like, okay, this is not working. Like we have lost our missionary identity. We're not doing what we need to reach the world as it is today. So roughly 50 years ago, 50, 60 years ago, the same bishops, so these same bishops who can trace their positions back to the original apostles, so the church first missionaries that were met to solve this problem, they decided to do something about it. And so we're not going to go through everything, but we're going to talk about Vatican II. So the, all the bishops in the world, they met to solve this problem. And they proposed two big ideas, which you can summarize all of Vatican II with. One is called resourcement. So that it's an Italian phrase. It means going back to the sources. So you may have heard of, if you're a Catholic listening, you may have heard of the call to holiness before. Basically, resourcement, meaning going back to the sources, is a calling to our deepest identity as a church, to go back to the very core of what makes us Christians, of what makes us Catholic, of what makes us followers of Jesus, and to be faithful to that, to be found, like our very foundation of our lives and as a church is this, to be faithful to the riches of knowledge and tradition and all those things that talked about that the church possesses, to stay close to him, to be unwavering in our fidelity to them, and to reaffirm and enter into what fundamentally makes us Catholic and makes us different in the world, to be close to that, because that's where we need to start. We need this first renewal in who we are, our deepest identity. We need to hold close to that. So that when we do that, we can do part two. So this is the other big idea that the church proposed, aggiornamento, which I'm going to call about, this isn't a direct translation in English, but a way to think about this is call to mission. It's so is to go, once we're rooted, first resource mount in our deepest identity, that allows us to go out into the world so that we can change it. Because we can't do that if we're just like everyone else. But if we're, we're rooted in Christ, when we go out to the world, we can change it. And we have a responsibility to do that. So a call to mission. This is the second big, big idea of Vatican II. It's to go into the world as redeemed men, women, communities, and parishes, and a church, and share with them this greatest treasure that we have, which is a life-saving relationship with Jesus within his church. This means to go out in our individual ways and a church to go into the world and change it so that it becomes a real heaven on earth, which is a possible. That's the thing that Lord in his kingdom of heaven, that's what he wanted to bring on this earth, to make this heaven on earth, or at least to make it a foretaste of that, to bring others to redemption that we've found in Christ and freedom from sin, to correct the injustice of the world and to give to the needy and to serve those that are most in need, that are the least fortunate. And by doing this, we bring Christ's kingdom on earth. So, problem. After Vatican II, the church, it, this isn't necessarily true, but I feel like we've split up into two, two different camps. I mean, there's a lot of other ways. There's been division of things. But it's basically people that have focused either on one 
of these callings while completely ne- neglecting the other. So the call to holiness, so resource mat, so people have only focused that, or the call to mission, aggiornamento. So they've only focused focus on the mission or holiness. And so I'm going to call these people out, which is calling myself out. So one, we have the part of the church that focuses exclusively, so only on orthodoxy and holiness to the exclusion of other things. And by doing this, and they neglect mercy and the needs of others who are dying from lack of resources and sin. So these people possess an interior life with God. So this inner prayer life, you know, they regularly receive the sacraments, um, this holiness from the Lord, but fundamentally ignore Jesus' commands to reach out to the least fortunate, to those that need this same gospel message that they've received and has transformed their lives. Instead of seeing themselves in other struggles, instead they just judge them. They ignore them and then push them away. They treat the church, this is an example I use a lot, it's almost like an ark on its way to heaven. And we hope that no bad people come in and bring the world into the ark so that it sinks. So we're just going to hopefully keep them out. You know, maybe if someone wanders in their path, we'll save it. They seldom evangelize or serve others outside the church and isolate themselves within Christian bubbles, not forming deep relationships with people that need their witness and to encounter Jesus through them. And so a lot of these things that they aren't, they're doing are really good things. Like having a Christian bubble, well, if you have a strong community to write yourself on, that's extremely important. If you're focused on holiness and virtue and prayer, that's a great thing. But if you're neglecting the mission, that just doesn't work. The entire Christian life really falls apart. And the words of Christ saying, like, when I was in need, like, where when I was hungry, did you feed me? Like, those are the same words that condemn us when we live out this life of neglecting the mission of the church. And then there's the opposite way. This is the part of the church that focuses only on outward service and witness but dilutes the faith to more easily spread it. And when I'm talking about church, I more mean individuals and like sections of the church world. So it dilutes the faith more easily to spread it. And so these are, these are people that, you know, can neglect their personal relationship with the Lord to free up time for acts of service because that is, in their mind, that's the most important thing is to only serve, is to only go out and maybe evangelize and bring people to the faith. And this has very much defined me before. These people, they, they can relash, rationalize away their sin, ignore away or cut away theology they don't like, and shy away from talking about touch if, issues that the world um, has very distinct stances on it, and the church has very distinct contrary stances on it. And they're afraid to talk about that, and they just ignore it altogether. Or maybe say like, oh yeah, it's not necessary to believe that, to be Catholic or to be a Christian. They dilute the, the faith so much that what it becomes, it's completely unrecognizable and loses its power to actually save. The faith, like salt, has lost its haste and its properties to save, and all their good work, which they're doing, becomes basically like a nonprofit. And their faith life withers because of the many compromises they've made in their faith, in their ministry. And so, as I was saying, like, I've totally personified both of these sides throughout my life as a Catholic, like wandering too far one direction or the other. And we, what we're called to is to go somewhere in the middle. It's almost like breathing. So if you imagine the first part, like resource mind, that's like breathing in. That's like receiving the life of God and the Holy Spirit through prayer, through rooting yourself in the church and its teachings. Breathing, that's breathing in. So that's receiving Jesus. But at the same time, 
we need to breathe out as well. I mean, seriously, try holding your breath for like 45 seconds. Like it does not, you cannot do it. Eventually you need to breathe out. And these things do not work apart from one another because we're not following the example of Jesus who rooted his entire life in God the Father and in his teachings and lived out what he taught. But that also, so he had this deep, like this holiness that is not comparable to anything uh, we can relate to, this deep, perfect holiness, but at the same time went out and lived his entire life on mission to others and did that intentionally as an example for his disciples and as the Christians to follow him. Went to those and sat with those who were suffering most, went to the houses of sinners and ate with them and met these people right where they were at, right in their struggle. He didn't encourage their sin, but he met them there and sought to save them. So we need to be Catholics, Christians, and a church that does both of these, that lives out a dynamic life of holiness an interior life that's rooted in a strong Catholic and Christian community, but also one that is fundamentally outward, that goes out to reach the needs of those that are the least fortunate, that those who do not know Christ, that those are just held down in sin and are unhappy. We need to go out and meet these people. So this is your mission. It's my mission. And it's also the solution, God's solution, Jesus' solution to the world's brokenness, violence, pain, and every ill that's out there is through this, through you and me. Jesus working through you and me and the Holy Spirit to change the world. So by your sonship, so by your baptism, since if you've been baptized, you've been called into this mission. You've been called to, one, live a life of holiness, and two, live a life on mission. So let's put those things up into things that you do right now. So one, being faithful to God, so living a life of holiness. One, uh, things you can do. So you can put Jesus first in your life above everything else. Develop a relationship with him over time to sit down and pray with him to live as he lived, to act as he act. And by doing that, you can read scripture to see how did Jesus live, how did he act, and then to imitate him. To follow his teachings that he left behind and to hold fast to the teachings of his church, which come from his original disciples and up until now. So through Jesus' power and the sacraments to be redeemed from sin and through them to be equipped to live out the faith. So going to mass, going to confession, receiving the Eucharist, to do everything you can do with the sacraments because they equip us with the life to live out the faith. And then through this faithfulness, what happens is God makes us salt and light. He makes us different from the world, distinctly different, to go out into it and to change it and to be a source of life for the world through the Holy Spirit. So that's the first section, is being faithful to God, so call to holiness. Second one is call to mission. It's to go out and to change the world through Christ, starting with those that are right around you. So, this means to take the riches of your relationship with Christ and the beauty of the faith and to share it with others. To be different, to act like Jesus did in dark places, do as he did and go out to those that are most in need of him. Hold fast to the truth and not be afraid to discuss and sometimes defend it, especially the hardest parts of the faith. To encounter people in your life like Jesus did, to meet them in their mess, be there for them when they're struggling the most. And when the time is right, Share with them how Jesus rescued you from your darkness. Walk with people. Walk with them through their darkness and lead them slowly to the light and joy of following Christ and pray for them on that journey. Share with them the story of everything. So what I talked about um, in the first part, 
salvation history, God's redemption of humanity, the purpose of their life, and how they fit in that story. And most importantly, just love them as Christ loved you first, leading with mercy. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe on whatever app or device you're listening on. And if you haven't already, go back and listen to part one. Check out my review and me telling the story of everything. You're going to like it. I guarantee it. Special thanks to my crew on Patreon, Danny Blank and Carol Sharon, who make these podcasts possible by contributing financially every time I make one of these. My dream in the future is to post one of these podcasts, these sweet things, every single week. But I need enough income from these pods to focus my energy on this and to work less shifts on work and actually be able to eat and pay student loans and all that stuff. You can make my dream possible by clicking on the Patreon link below and contributing. Finally, we're starting the first ever Millennial Mission household in the Denver area and are looking for men to join with me on this crazy adventure. We're forming a missional community rooted in prayer and challenge each other while inviting other Catholics and Christians into deeper discipleship and equipping both them and ourselves to radically witness to our friends and workplace. It's going to be huge. So email me if you're interested using the address below. That's it. We'll have a My Story podcast coming up in a couple weeks. So follow me on social media if you want to enter into my insane, insane life until then. All right. Kind of forever. Peace. <laughs>